Time for midday here on this 11th day of February. It's Thursday, another Arctic cold day on tap for most of the listing area. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Coming up, we'll hear from Scott Foster as he fills in for Jason Jorgensen, who's on the road with UNK Basketball. We'll also hear from our own Bob Brogan as well about how stocks are performing here late this week. Again, temperatures mostly in the single digits. Probably not a lot of areas going to get out of that. And snow is in the forecast, but we'll hear more about that coming up at 1145 in our regional ag weather update with Paul Perkins. But let's hear from our own Susan Littlefield on what's to come during midday. Well, thanks, Tyler. Here's what's happening on a midday from the farm team. I'll kick it all off at 1219 with my conversation with Brad Coima. He's with Coima, Coima, and Varla out of Sioux Center, Iowa. He's on this week's Cattle Call, which you can see through our website at ruralradio.com. And we talk about the grain, the weather, all the influences we're seeing on the market this week. Then Alex will step in here at 1245. This month is American Heart Month, and cardiovascular disease is America's number one killer. We'll get more with a Nebraska native who's sharing her story about having and surviving a heart attack. Clay wraps up everything at 117 with AgWest Commodities, highlighting their upcoming webinar on China and U.S. exports. So that's a midday from the farm team. All right, good stuff to come. Appreciate it, Susan. Well, let's turn things over to uh, Scott Foster, again, who's sitting in for Jason Jorgensen, who's on the road with the uh, Hus or the UNK basketball teams are playing, obviously, tonight over on the River on 106.9 FM. But speaking of the Huskers, the Husker men continue to struggle. First of all, uh, I would like to say that I, I put the blame on this cold weather squarely on the Canadians. Nobody it's will their disagree. fault, and uh, I just want to get that out there. Yeah, you know, uh, boy, the Husker, here's a good thing. We were leading for a while last night, the, the Huskers, Huskers were. Right, yeah. They were up early. They went on a 10-0 run, but uh, then things fell apart as they often do. 24 losses in a row in Big Ten. It's mm-hmm. been since January of last year mm-hmm. that uh, they got a win. Um, they as they fell to a good Wisconsin team, sixty-one forty-eight. Lat Mayan scored uh, game high fourteen points for the Huskers, as uh, they fall now to just four and nine on the air. Yikes. Not very good. It's not been good. Um, also, uh, good news for the Los Angeles Dodgers, who just get richer. They've avoided arbitration with Walker Bueller. Mm-hmm. They're uh, they're ace, and so, you know, we'd hate to see them be pushed by, uh, you know, anything bad going on for them. Also, the Australian Open, if you're a tennis fan, right. is uh, actually taking place, and Rafael Nadal is among the men advancing in the third round of the Open. Down under, down in the Australian down Open. Under. Very it's good. warmer. It is. Uh, you also have high school basketball tonight. Cammy, tonight we've got Lexington taking on Adam Central. Real interested in seeing this Adam Central team. That's the boys have won 19 in a row. Wow! Lost the first game to Aurora of the year, and then have run off. They're expected to be maybe the best team in C1. All right, Adam Central, Lexington tonight over on Cammy Country. Let's turn things over to Bob Brogan and how are stocks performing on this Thursday. Well, right now, world stock indexes uh, mostly higher. Uh, Dow's 30 industrials are down a little bit, but both the NASDAQ and the uh, S&P 500 are up. Meanwhile, Republicans are attacking the Democrats' $1.9 trillion COVID package. They're saying it's too costly. So that's kind of making the headlines today. All right. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Let's turn things over to Clay. And it's time for a regional ag weather update brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. 
Paul Perkins now back in the studio. And Paul, we're looking at a little bit of snow potentially falling in the uh, Sandhills region in particular. And some of that could get a little bit further to the south as the day goes on. And we'll see that increase in cloud cover as the day goes on. And the chance for some flurries mainly to the north of I-80, but maybe a little bit farther to the south. But yeah, for the time being, that snow pretty much staying from about Rose to just to the south of Ainsworth to just north of Hyannis and Mullen and also towards Shadron and Gordon. It's sliding towards the east and southeast, so not making a whole lot of progress to the south. We were looking at temperatures a little bit farther north here <laughs> in the U.S. and into Canada. And, uh, boy, it's it's cold here, but up there it's it's brutally cold. Exactly. It's uh, still at 20 below in northwest North Dakota right now in the, uh, we'll, we'll call it, uh, I'm not even sure Tioga, how to pronounce Crosby, Crosby, yeah, yeah, sure. Crosby, yeah. So northwest <laughs> corner, we'll just say northwest North Dakota. And their wind chill right now into northwest North Dakota still at 47 below zero. Yeah. And it did get down to 39 below this morning in Seagull Lake, Minnesota for the nation's low. Real-time temperature. Actual air temperature there. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, much of uh, Minnesota right now with temperatures at 25 to 30 below in the northern half of the state. You, you know things aren't going well when the Rocky <laughs> Mountains are warmer uh, significantly than right now most of the, the plains. Quite a bit warmer, yeah. And right now uh, our temperatures are in the, we'll say the mid to upper single digits for the most part across the area. A little bit warmer into Kansas, right around 10 above. But a little more wind today, and that is giving us some wind chills across the area anywhere from about 5 to 10 below. So definitely not as nice as what it has been, and it's going to continue to go downhill. Yeah, that's the bad news. The temperatures are only going to get colder with some snow mixed in starting really tonight into tomorrow. Exactly, and temperatures today uh, expected to be right around 30 degrees below normal, but for tomorrow through Monday, looking at a four-day stretch there of temperatures 40 degrees colder than usual as we see even colder Arctic air drops south into our area. For today, flurries and light snow, a possibility through tonight, mainly to the north of the interstate in Nebraska. Some isolated spots could see accumulations of an inch. Snow is likely region-wide for tomorrow into tomorrow night. Most of the accumulations expected to range 2 to 4 inches. That best chance of accumulation, once again, to the north of I-80, on into northern areas of Nebraska, maybe those uh, accumulations up to around 3 to 5 inches, where we do have a winter weather advisory that goes into effect from 6 tomorrow morning through 6 Saturday morning. That's basically along and north of a line from Ogallala to North Platte, Broken Bow, and St. Paul. Light flurries are possible during the day Saturday before a better chance of additional snows Saturday night into Sunday. The focus of that snow looks to be farther south, with northern Kansas expected to see some higher totals. Now, temperatures really tank by late in the weekend with extremely dangerous wind chills and possible record cold by Monday morning. Wind chills will be in the 20s below zero for tomorrow morning through Sunday morning. The 30s below zero expected for wind chills Monday and Tuesday morning. In the long-term forecast, that coldest of the cold air moves off towards east. Below normal temperatures remain likely, though, for Nebraska and Kansas through February 24th. Temperatures just won't be as cold by late next week through the 24th. Near normal to slightly above normal precipitation predicted for the middle of next week in Nebraska and Kansas. But by late next week through the 24th, we should be drier with below normal precipitation. 
For the latest regional drought monitor, Nebraska conditions remain the same. Low-end abnormal dryness remains along and southeast of the line from Fremont to Hastings. Most of Nebraska in moderate to severe drought. Extreme drought continues in nearly all of the Panhandle and over the southwest and south-central, along and south of I-80 and along and west of Highway 183. Kansas also remained the same at 40% drought-free. No dryness issues on along and southeast of a line from Kansas City to McPherson and Liberal. Most of Kansas abnormally dry to a moderate drought. Severe to extreme drought continues along and west of a line from Phillipsburg to Oakley and Elkhart, mainly the far west and north central and northwest. Key weather factors affecting the markets include heavy rain in central Brazil's forecast and mostly light rain for Argentina. On the plains, sub-zero temperatures persist from Nebraska northward. In Montana, daily record lows were set yesterday, including 38 below in Cutbank and 36 below in Fort Benton. Now this morning, Seagull Lake, Minnesota, once again, as we mentioned earlier, had a record low, recorded a low of 39 below. Winter wheat is lacking in protective snow cover in parts in the northeast Montana region and the western Dakotas, raising the specter of winter kill. Weekend temperatures could plunge to zero or below as far south as west-central Texas. Fresh snow should help to insulate winter wheat across the southern plains. Central Brazil's recent dryer spell offered favorable conditions for soybean harvest and second crop corn planting. Rain will return and favor germination of second crop corn, but further delay their harvest and planting. In central Argentina, scattered rain will continue through the weekend. Some areas will be missed, leading them to more concerns of dryness uh, in the middle of the country for corn and soybeans in the reproductive to filling stage. Central Argentina crop conditions are mixed after periods of heavy rain mixed with prolonged dry stretches over the last month. A front this weekend will put another end to showers for next week, continuing the stress on drier areas. And Tyler, right now, of course, some precipitation moving across the southern U.S. towards the Fort Worth area. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite a bit of rain, and that is freezing. And I saw on the news uh, some headlines they had a hundred vehicle pileup right. near fort worth texas yeah, and unfortunately it sounds like three people have died so far mm-hmm. from that accident i've been watching some video of that on social media very very nasty down in the the texas area it's that that quick freezing rain that we saw a couple weeks ago even yeah and, and, and yeah last thursday as a matter of fact that's right yeah that's right because we had that freeze that mm-hmm. layer of ice underneath the snow and it was treacherous to drive on for sure all right very good uh for more weather where can somebody find that weather page krmian.com all right thank you very much <laughs> This week's cattle call discussion, I caught up with Brad Coima. He's with Coima Coima and Barlick out of Sioux Center, Iowa. I'm Susan Littlefield here on the Rural Radio Network, and I asked him, considering what we see in the grain prices and what's been happening in the cattle, can we get to that current level? Well, that might be finally, finally, what does it? Uh, we've been talking about these average weights forever, right? I mean, you know, since March, uh, since we slowed down the kill. Um, and then when we finally got our kill back, uh, then we went to arguably the, 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 the most perfect fall, early winter feeding period, maybe in modern history, you know, so performance was off the charts. Um, but now the weather's changed just a little bit. Um, we've had a couple of snowstorms, uh, bitterly cold weather. Um, but more importantly, I think, like you said, the cost of feed, the cost of corn here, um, you know, talked to a big feed yard in, in, in uh, Kansas yesterday, and they were 80 over um March, so you know you're talking about a six forty, six you know thirty uh, uh, cost of corn, 
uh, and even up here where it's you know in the mid fives, <clears throat> it's certainly uh, the cost of gain is higher than what you're getting paid per pound for it. Now usually that is a uh, that is the, a quick turnaround, and you know guys in the in the in the short term, unfortunately, that makes a lot of people very easy and willing sellers. Part of the reason probably why our cash market seems so sluggish. But ultimately, you want to pull that weight down, get yourself nice and current, finally, then finally, maybe, maybe our industry can get just a little leverage back and a little less meat going in the pipeline. So are we going to see less supply cattle come March? In my view, yes, at least in my neck of the woods. Um, and that would be contrary to some of the other fundamentals, fundamental lists, I guess, the, those anal, analysts that try to still work on the numbers. Um, yes, I can, I can recount too that uh, Iowa, my backyard, uh, uh, based on the cattle and feed reports, whereas for the first time going to have more cattle in the first quarter of a year than it does in the fourth quarter of the year prior. Very unusual because, you know, a lot of calf feds, right? You know, and those typically the, the seasonality of those, those cattle go in October, right? Um, so it was different. I think some of that was influenced by drought. Some of it was influenced by the inability to get cattle moved on a timely basis all the way back to the COVID stuff. Uh, but what I believe and what I see in my neck of the woods is that because of the, the ideal weather, I think we've actually then took those cattle and pulled them ahead um, because the performance was so good. I really think there's less cattle in March than there was in January. And uh, I'm hoping that, um, like a good friend of mine always used to say, that once in a while it pays to have manure on your boots, right? And uh, I would hopeful that maybe we can uh, surprise some in the trade by finding out that there, there isn't that excessive number coming at us here, that wall of cattle that people are talking. Looking at the cattle and, and the current weather that we're in, obviously we can expect some weight drops to happen in the next couple of weeks. I would love to just promise it, but there's no such thing in this, uh, this deal, of course. But, you know, to me, the combination of the high cost of gain and, uh, you know, uh, with a shift in the weather, you know, that the guys that I'm talking to and, and hearing from are pretty quick and willing sellers. Uh, I would like to think that when we get, you know, a couple of weeks down the road and we're doing this again, that we, we, we can talk about, oh, finally, we found a significant drop in the weights, maybe got those weights closer towards uh, what we were a year ago. You know, we're still about 17, 18 pounds over a year ago in the carcass weights, but that can change very quickly. And, and, and one would think that there'd be a de decent reason here now to think that that could happen this time as well. My conversation with Brad Coimo as we looked at this week's cattle market. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Time for Midday Sports. Scott Foster sitting in for Jason Jorgensen, who's on the road with the UNK Loper basketball team. As Scout, tell us more about that. I sure will. Uh, first of all, I'd like to hope that everybody had nice, easy names like Jason Jorgensen and Scott Foster. We will mm -hmm. get into that in just a little bit. Junior forward Lat Mayan led the Huskers uh, with 14 points in the contest that uh, they lost last night, scoring in double figures for his fourth game in a row. Delano Blanton, excuse me, Batten, see I messed it up, had the team high 10 boards for Nebraska, who out-rebounded Wisconsin 41-38, but shot just 37% in the loss. Here's the good news. Nebraska started the game strong, jumping out to a early 22-14 lead after a 12-0 run as Mayan had 10 early points for the Huskers, and you hit 8 of its first 12 shots from the floor. 
before cooling off. Number 21, Wisconsin held Nebraska to only four points in the last eight minutes and during that time forced 12 first-half turnovers. Nebraska is back in action Friday night as they take on the white-hot number 6 mm-hmm. Illinois Illini. Tip-off is set for 8 o'clock there. The now number 13th-ranked Nebraska Kearney women's basketball team aims to stay atop the MIAA when it takes travels to Oklahoma this weekend to face Northeastern State and Rogers State. The Nebraska Kearney men's Get team enter the games with a six and ten record and six games left on the schedule. Tonight's game for the UNK women against Northeastern State tips off at five thirty. The men following at seven thirty. Coverage begins at five twenty on ninety three point one The River one hundred six point nine FM in Kearney and worldwide at krvn dot com and on the River app. High school basketball Tala order. Tonight for the Lexington Minutemen as they take on 19-1 Adam Central. The Patriots are on a 19-game winning streak and look to be at the top of the class of C1. Lexington head coach Zach Jones knows the task is daunting. It's going to be a team effort. Uh, you really have to limit them to one shot. Don't give them easy baskets, turn it over against their 1-3-1. One, Doing, doing those things gives you a chance to be in the game, but again, you're going to have to play a near-perfect game to win. That game is expected to tip off at 7.30. Girls game will start right before that. In bas- in baseball, Walker Bueller. 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 Here. And the world champion Los Angeles Dodgers have avoided a salary arbitration hearing scheduled for today. They've agreed to an $8 million two-year contract that would escalate to more than $12 million if he starts regularly this year and wins a Cy Young Award. Bueller had been eligible for arbitration for the first time. The 26-year-old right-hander was the Dodgers' ace in helping them win their first World Series since 1988. And finally, the Australian Open is taking place right now. And besides a bit of a skirmish uh, early on with a a drunk fan, Rafael Nadal is among the men advancing to the third round of the Australian Open. The 20-time major champion shrugged off heckling from a spectator and beat American qualifier Michael Moe. All right, here we go. This is uh, anchor. Uh, this is anchor time to help out here. Russia's ATB ATP Cup winning teammates Daniel Medvedev, and you like that? No, it looks good. Yeah. Okay, uh, and Andrei Rublev. Yep. Okay. Rublev, I believe. Continued one out of two. Continued their unbeaten start. You you follow a lot of Russian tennis, do you? <laughs> Big uh, fan. Okay, uh, they they start the year with uh, straight set wins. The four-seeded Medvedev extended his winning streak to 16 by beating Roberto Carballas Benya. I don't know if they need an umlaut there anyway. Others uh, advancing, here we go, included Stefano Tsitsipas. Yes. Number nine, Matteo Berrettini. 16th-seeded Fabio Fognini in a sometimes heated contest with fellow Italian Salvatore Caruso. Lasted almost four hours. 
You did well. You did well. I, well, as far as I know, I did well. Yeah, that, that's we the issue. We, we got nothing to prove that. But anyway, it's an all-name Australian Open, and uh, apparently the fans can drink whatever they want because the 60-year-old lady did not like Rafael Nadal. They had to stop it and escort her out. Wow, I did not know that. Michael Moe. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, next time, by the way, we'll have to bring our own uh, tennis savant in. Yeah. She helped a little bit. Jen Hauser, and yeah. she'll come in, and she'll read this like no problem. I'm sure she will. Because we were probably 0 for 9, I'm I assuming. So, all right. Thank you very much. This is Greg Sharp. Short show tonight. We have Husker women's basketball as they host the Iowa Hawkeyes. We'll set you up for the game and review the day's headlines tonight here on Sports Nightly. Listen to Sports Nightly on 880 KR106.5M Kearney and 98.5 FM Grand Island. It's time for midday news. Our own Dave Schroeder stepped in. Well, Dave, uh, birds are taking flight. Maybe. Yes, absolutely. Well, it's that time of year when we spe- welcome special visitors to Nebraska. Mm-hmm. It's the annual Sandhill Crane migration that is starting to make its way to the central part of the state. The Ian Nicholson Audubon Center at Rose Sanctuary near Gibbon gears up for thousands of cranes to roost. Director Bill Tadakin talks about what a typical crane migration looks like each spring. Good flock right now we're estimating at just a little over a million sandhill cranes the roosts on rose sanctuary can build as much as 200,000 at night so far we've seen a handful of cranes that we believe have just started migrating typically we'll see our first crane sometime about this time of february we used to say right about valentine's day was the first birds and then peak numbers sometimes around st patrick's day and then most of the birds gone by tax day I imagine maybe those birds will be just flying right on through this trip. <laughs> I don't think there'll be any pit stops this time. I can't imagine they would want to be coming to this area. They're like, what are we doing here? Absolutely. Well, we're leaving. Absolutely. Yep, yep, exactly. Right. Well, Tadakin says the Rose Sanctuary sees people from over 60 countries each year to experience the spring migration. And that is a good place to visit, folks. A former Lincoln police officer who resigned days before he was charged for an incident that happened while he was off duty has pleaded not guilty in the case. 32-year-old Benjamin Reeker entered the written plea. He's charged with third-degree assault and false reporting. Reeker resigned January 26th, days before the assault charge was filed. Investigators say Reeker was working security at a Lincoln hospital when he sought out a 51-year-old man he had earlier argued with and shoved the man unprovoked, causing the man to fall and hit his head. Kansas school districts are rushing to vaccinate their teachers in preparation for an eventual return to full-time reopening of classrooms and before a more contagious strain of the coronavirus can spread throughout the state. Kansas Governor Laura Kelly said that about 60% of Kansas' school districts have started vaccinating their teachers and staff. She discussed the push a day after the Kansas Department of Education recommended that districts allow middle and high school students to resume full-time in-person instruction if precautions are taken. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. The month of February is American Heart Month, and it's one thing to hear about all of these statistics and learn about the signs and symptoms and prevention methods, but then it's another thing to hear about a real-life story, especially from somebody right here in Nebraska, and today we're going to do just that. We're joined on the phone by Angie Jorgensen. She is a survivor of a heart attack, a stroke, and a rare tumor. Angie, it is so great to be with you today. Thanks so much for coming on. 
Thanksgiving. It's great to be here. So, Angie, you have quite an incredible story to share with us. But before we dive into that story, um, I want to get to know you a little bit. Tell us about yourself. Well, I am a happily married mom. Together, my husband and I together have four children. And actually, our youngest now is 17. That's hard to believe. A few of them are out of the house, college, all military, all kinds of good things. But I am the kind of person that is just every day is a gift. Every day, I have worked in health and fitness and in health coaching and as a cell director, so definitely do work, and it thankfully worked really well to do things out of the home this past year as well. Yeah, definitely. And Angie, what seems on the outside is a perfectly normal family and a perfectly normal life that you've led, that's certainly not the case because you've been through some serious challenges Tell me about your journey with a heart attack, a stroke, and a rare tumor all at once. I will. And I am probably one of the least likely people to have ever been expected to experience the things that I did. And so I'm happy and proud to be an advocate for the American Heart Association in encouraging people to very much be proactive with their health. I definitely had some signs, and I think, you know, we get busy or we think, it's no big deal. Just suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> Just get in there and, and um, keep going. I literally taught a fitness class the day before I dropped dead. So I do that week. I thought I was coming down with maybe some bronchitis or whatnot. But on December 12, 2012, woke up in the morning and I had thunder and lightning going through my chest. Luckily, my husband had canceled an out-of-town hunting trip the night before, literally at midnight. Uh, his friend had said the direction of the wind had changed. And so they called off the trip, which was not a normal thing for all of our Nebraska people that love to hunt and so forth. It's, it's the hunt is on. <laughs> but he happened to be there, and all of our kids had just left for school, and I was a mess. And I was, it was out of control. I knew something was wrong, but I'm very thankful that I was not there by myself because it would have had a very different outcome. I did have the presence of mind after I had collapsed on the floor and my husband was asking me what's wrong to say hospital, get me to the hospital. He drove me part of the way in the ditch in morning rush hour traffic to get me to the first hospital. I got there, they ran tests. After a while, I coded twice for a total of 20 minutes before they brought me back with CPR. And um, I had to do that a couple times, I understand. I had a heart attack, I had at least one stroke and at that time, I had about 5% heart life. They told my family, say goodbye. She's done. We're going to try to life flight her, though, to Nebraska Medicine, which is what they did. When I got there, they hooked me up to ECMO. So I spent a week on this heart and lung machine. Originally, they thought I needed a heart transplant. Turned out it was a deadly tumor that had theochromophytoma that had spiraled the entire thing out of control. Had I not had taken great care of my health previously, the doctors told me unequivocally I never would have survived it. I also add in a miracle because they looked at me and went, holy cow, we can't. They just had not, I think it was one of the first times they had seen somebody come in with my situation that severe that lived. I don't know about all that, but what I know is, is after spending a week in a coma, and my family being prepared for the absolute worst. My, all my organs had shut down. I had had blood pressure spiraling over 300, over 155 multiple times. 
and more things that still went wrong in the process. I did wake up a couple days later, total invalid, could not walk, could not use my hands, could barely speak, but I woke up. And I remember as I laid there restrained, thinking, okay, <laughs> okay. Um, and truthfully, I thought, all right, God, you still have me here, so I promise if I can live through this, I will work every day to pay it forward in some way. And uh, I, I am very proud of to, to encourage people to not overlook the signs of things. I did have some signs that I think I just attributed to menopause or to stress with teenagers or whatnot. And had I maybe been more proactive, I don't know. But I would just encourage people, get those regular checkups. Get that physical. Do those things because 80% of heart disease is preventable. And so much of it is we get busy and we overlook it. And with heart disease being the number one killer of women and men, uh, we, we can't not pay attention. But I was blessed to actually rebuild everything over the course of the year to rebuild back my health. And uh, beyond what the doctor's prognosis was, I would say the stroke was probably one of the toughest components. Uh, I had that deadly tumor removed a few months later when I was strong enough for that surgery and um, ended up being a bit of a medical miracle and very proud to share it. In fact, how's this for a cool number? My heart came back to fully functional after a week in a coma where they little, my husband signed to put me on a heart transplant list. My heart ended up coming back functional on December 12, 2012. So 12-12-12. That's a pretty cool number. <laughs> Anyway, I would just encourage those out there um, during this time and, and, uh, and to say thank you to so many between our medical and our military and, and so many that are doing so many wonderful things to help us right now. Every day is a gift. <laughs> oh, wow. That is a powerful story. Angie, I think that's a good place to end part one of our conversation. When we pick up with part two, We'll be talking about how you rebuilt your life after this experience and look at how some things have changed since December 7th of 2012. Until then, we've been visiting with Angie Jorgensen and I'm Alex Wojcicki reporting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. With the business report for Thursday, I'm Bob Brogan. World stock indexes are mostly higher today. In earlier trading, Germany's DAX edged one-tenth percent higher. The CAC 40 in Paris gained three-tenths of a percent. And Britain's FTSE 100 was flat. Many markets in Asia were closed for the Lunar New Year and other holidays, but benchmarks in Hong Kong rose on Wall Street, S&P and Dow futures both gained two-tenths of a percent. Republicans are attacking the Democrats' $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief package as too costly, economically damaging, and overtly partisan. It's an all-angles attempt by the GOP to derail new President Joe Biden's top priority as it starts moving through a Congress that his party controls only narrowly. Five House committees worked yesterday on their pieces of the sweeping legislation. The package would provide $1,400 payments to some Americans, hundreds of billions for state and local governments, and boost vaccination efforts, raise tax credits for children, and increase unemployment benefits. Democratic leaders hope for a bill on Biden's desk by mid-March. 
Drugmaker AstraZeneca says fourth quarter earnings more than tripled amid strong sales of cancer drugs. AstraZeneca is also a co-developer of one of the first COVID-19 vaccines to be authorized for widespread use. In news out of London, Royal Dutch Shell says it plans to eliminate seven refineries and reduce production of gasoline and diesel fuel by 55% over the next decade as it unveils new plans for reaching its goal of being carbon neutral by 2050. Shell says the company's oil production peaked in 2019 and is expected to decline by 1% to 2% annually. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. On the last Rural Radio Forum. If we get in touch summer, I think, then uh, we will have, I think, done our job and and uh, hopefully get everybody, everybody's needs met and get on uh, to the next issue. Through that whole process, getting over the hurdles with the pandemic and pivoting to online and, and seeing successful sales and seeing positive feedback on posts on social media, you know, will continue to help that, that growth and, and beyond, I think, whatever comes of the pandemic in the future. In many ways, agriculture really saved the day for America because we did plant a crop. We're going to have food to eat, despite all the all the problems. We got our crop planted and we got our crop harvested. Listen to the podcast at krvn.com. West Commodities coming back with another webinar to help producers understand just how China impacts the global market and how that impact has changed here in recent years. I'm Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. Joining us to talk the conversation, as always, is President of AgWest Commodities. That's Paul Mooseman. And, Paul, we always appreciate your time. But webinar number three, how global exports and China impact the U.S. producer, coming up Tuesday, February 16th, 1230 to 2 Central Time. Three amazing panelists. Give us an overview of what we can expect here. Thank you again, Clay. February 16th at 12.30 Central Time. We've got three individuals that have boots on the ground, that have knowledge of what China's buying, when they're buying it. Is is it big? Is it small? Is it seasonal? Is it here to lack? We're going to ask some of those questions of these folks who have intimate knowledge about the fact and, and really get to the heart of it. We've got a changing global marketplace now that I'm not sure that I understand or, or that maybe some of your listeners don't understand. And I'm not saying we're going to get all the answers when we speak to these individuals, but it would like to know, is China our biggest customer? And if they are, why do we continue to have a trade war with someone that we call a partner and a, and a trade negotiator with? So it's interesting to me how last year China was our 21st corn customer, but they're on pace right now to be our first, our biggest. And so I think it's time that we listen to these folks, figure out why it is that they're buying, how long maybe we can expect that to continue, and then what it is that we do as producers here in this, this great country to, to help appease, one, that appetite, but also help keep driving that demand. So I think there's a lot of things here that are going to affect uh, your listeners, our great producers here. Uh, I'm interested to hear from these folks and not have to listen to it two, three, fourth hands removed. Uh, let, let's get it right from the source. And one thing to note with this, you will have to attend this webinar live because of regulations within the within China's media regulations. This cannot be recorded, so you have to catch it firsthand. Can you give us a little bit of an insight then? You Do you have uh, speakers that are in China? How does that kind of relate because you're talking about boots on the ground we are so unfortunately because of the time delays and the movement we do not have an actual speaker from china that's going to be speaking however we do have the largest grain company in the world the largest purchaser which is owned by the chinese 
is going to be on the call with us. So that information should be available to us. We've also got a couple individuals from the United States Soybean Export Council, and they have colleagues that are on the ground in China that are going to share with us what's happening with this demand. Has the hog rations really changed enough? Has the crop in China been depleted over the last two years that they're having to buy from us in South America? I don't know the answers to these questions, but when you say boots on the ground, these folks, although they're not themselves, but they do have uh, colleagues and representation right there that's going to be able to answer some of those questions. And this isn't no marketing hype or some gimmick. Legitimately, we can't record the webinar and send it back out. I'd love to. We've been able to do so on the previous two, but this is this is media regulations that we can't overcome. So instead of not having it, we decide to have it but have it live, give everyone at least one chance to hear this information, and then let's go forward. Again, we're talking with President of AgWest Commodities, Paul Mooseman, about their upcoming webinar, Global Export in China, Impact to the U.S. Producer. Again, this coming Tuesday, February 16th from 1230 to 2 Central Time. The important question here, we've talked a lot about the important information we'll be talking about, but how do folks get ready? How do they access this webinar where it's live only? Play pretty simple and straightforward. Just go to our website at goagwest.com. Get on there, get registered. They'll get a unique ID, and uh, they'll log on at uh, February 16th, 12:30, and they can join us for our live discussion at that point. Again, the website to visit, goagwest.com. Mark your calendar for next Tuesday, February the 16th. It's AgWest Commodities with their third webinar, Global Exports to China. Thanks for listening to the Rural Radio Network. Play Phantom World Radio Network. Let's take a check at the closing grain futures now with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, what goes down must come back around, and that is the soybean and the corn market here today. However, wheat kind of stumbles and falls here towards the end of the session. Anything to be concerned with there? I don't, I don't know. I mean, we had a pretty good move most of the morning, and wheat doesn't really have the story on the demand side that corn and beans do right now. I mean, overall, the global prices are high, but you're not seeing a lot of U.S. supply move, so probably just some spreading against that. I don't think um, – I think that the interesting thing will be watching delivery here. You know, we got 18 days to go, uh, 16 days to go for first notice day, and that March contract in the week is the cheapest – one of the cheapest week contracts on the books right now. So we need to see who wants to take that and you know, how the July performs as well. Right now, corn, whole home, 15 off its low, you know, 40, 35 off its high from uh, from just three days ago. So we're in the middle of the range here. There's going to be a lot of swings. Good trading opportunities if that's what you're into. And there again, so this offers more of that range-bound day trading type scenario. From a hedging perspective, though, is it one just to be cautious to market and have have in mind a target ready to make make a move? I think that's probably the best emotional way to do it. I mean, everybody's different. You know, some people can sit there and just say, I'm going to sell the crop today, and then they walk away. Some people get real agitated, and they kind of go into FOMO mode, we call it, where, you know, they're going to – the worst thing they, they think about is, is missing a rally. So whether or not the prices are good, you know, midsummer we're trading 550 and, you know, sold at 450 on half their crop. But that can be a psychological dart as well. My advice is to, to kind of find a plan that works for you and go there. I would be careful right now. I think the, the deferred contracts haven't really rallied much. I mean, we're up 10% from where we are normally. And when you look at some other commodity markets, like, say, copper, for example, it's like 35 40%. So I think the new crop contracts are very undervalued, especially if there's a weatherman problem. And the one thing I've noticed really just from watching and observing the markets over the last two to three months is anything that's really, that the supply is malleable, meaning 
you can't make more corn than we're going to get over the next nine months from the U.S. You know, once that that supply would shrink, you're going to see a big rush to buy. And I don't think the fund, while they're quote unquote record long, they have a, a lot, I mean, there's a lot of money out there to chase this stuff higher if it wants to go. And I think those deferred contracts are really the ones to watch. That is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. You can learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures options involve risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors to consider these risks before investing. Again, if you'd like to sign up for John's daily newsletter this week in Grain, visit danielzagmarketing.com. All right, thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up Midday. You can find the Midday Podcast sponsored by Devenny Motors at krvn.com. Do want to mention that uh, the food distribution at St. Anne's Parish Center here in Lexington still has some food boxes left. There is no line, and it's first come, first serve. So, again, the food distribution at St. Anne's Parish Center here in Lexington Still has some food boxes left. If you're interested, you can go in and check them out again at St. Anne's Parish Center in Lexington. No line, first come, first serve.